Welcome to Grand Central Radio, the grandparents' community platform. I'm your host, Jerry Cole. This is a talk, listen, and act show for grandparents and future grandparents everywhere. My adult child, that child's spouse and in-laws, and my two young grandchildren give me lots of questions and concerns. Like you, I want to be as effective for my grandkids and their parents as possible. To achieve these goals, I also want to stay physically and mentally fit and have fun. We can help each other by sharing our challenges and ideas about grandparenting and our lives as grandparents. You can replay our shows, find materials curated especially for grandparents, and contact me, Jerry Cole, on our secure website, Grand Central Radio. Grandparents ask, How can we save and help provide for the costs of education and futures of our grandchildren while respecting our children's judgment and boundaries? So our topic today is planning for grandchildren's education and financial future. Our special guest is Hannah Ahmed, a Harvard University graduate with more than 15 years' experience educating and assisting clients in structuring, allocating, and managing their investment portfolios and other financial planning and counseling services. She holds the CFP and CDFA certifications and is employed by a registered investment advisor firm based in Montana. You'll hear on this podcast Hannah's personal views on this topic. Those views do not constitute the views of her employer or legal, accounting, tax, financial, investment, trusts and estates, or any other advice by Hannah, me, or Grand Central Radio. We urge all listeners to consult with their own legal, accounting, tax, financial, investment, and trusts and estates advisors about each listener's and his or her family's particular circumstances before adopting any planning strategy. Hannah, thank you for joining us on Grand Central Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to today's conversation. When we try to educate ourselves by reading books, articles, and online postings about financial planning to assist our children and grandchildren, We're confronted with an alphabet soup of confusing certifications and a plethora of investment products and complicated strategies. So let's start with some basics. Hannah, when and why did you become passionate about helping others in financial planning? It was a couple years into my career particularly when I obtained the CFP designation. That's when I realized what I had already seen thus far in terms of helping my clients and that help coming to fruition um, really established the fact that I had chosen the right career path and wanted to keep that moving. But at the end of the day, it's those relationships with all the people that I've built that give me that passion and want to continue my work. What questions should we ask someone we're considering relying upon as our advisor about financial or investment matters to make it more likely that we choose an advisor who will look out for the best interests of us and our family? 
For example, I've heard that it's important to work with a fiduciary. What does it mean to be a fiduciary? And what kinds of advisors have the highest level of fiduciary duty? Let's start with what you should be looking for to see if that advisor is going to just have your best interests at heart in the first place. And while there are questions you should ask, one of the things that I always tell people to look for are the types of questions the advisor is asking you in that initial meeting. Are they really trying to get to know you and understand you? Or are they letting you drive the meeting where it kind of gives you that impression that they're just looking for a sale? Um, There are great websites to go to to see a little bit about the advisor's background. And that's where I tell people to just Google FINRA broker check. And from there, you can look up the advisor's history as well as their firm's. When it comes to working with a fiduciary, there's a difference between companies that are RIAs, registered investment advisors, or broker dealers. Those are going to be the typical large firms we're all familiar with. And if you want to ensure that you're working with a firm that is a fiduciary, you want to look for an RIA. And all of the advisors working for that IRA will be fiduciaries. So that's where you then want to ask the really hard question about how they get paid, as that can influence the types of recommendations that they're going to give you. You hold certifications, Hannah, for CFP and CDFA, and you work for a registered investment advisor. What do the CFP and CDFA certifications mean? And what duty does an advisor holding each of those certifications have to a client? CFP, that stands for Certified Financial Planner, and the CDFA designation stands for Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. And so anytime you're working with an advisor that has these additional designations, and if they're working with you particularly in that vein that their designation is designed to help you with, they are even held to a higher standard. So when I am working with clients in financial planning and bringing them through the process of analyzing their entire financial lives, or on the flip side, when I'm working with clients that are going through a divorce, I am held to an even higher standard than an advisor without those specific designations. What are a Totten Trust account, a payable on death or POD account, and a transferable on death or TOD account? Is there any difference between them? If so, what is that difference? Essentially, all of those accounts, while they have different names, they all mean the same thing and function in the same fashion. And that is that you are taking a taxable account. So money that you've already paid taxes on and invested, and you are attaching a beneficiary to that account in much the same way you would do with a retirement account or any insurance product. Then upon your passing, that account would automatically transfer to your named beneficiary or beneficiaries, and those assets do not have to go through the probate process. Under what circumstances, if any, should we consider using a Totten Trust, POD account, 
or TOD account to plan for our grandchild's education and financial future. If you are concerned with, let's say, your health and wanting to ensure that these assets go directly to your grandchild or grandchildren regardless. And then the other thing to note, let's say you're not so worried about your health, but there is that potential. We all know anything can happen to us at any given point in time. So if you want to ensure that if something were to happen, these assets go to your grandchildren and you don't care how they spend it, these are good accounts to use. The thing to be most aware of is if you continue living and you want to use these accounts to fund their education, you're going to want to do so in the way that you make payments directly to the school and not directly to your grandchildren. Am I correct that a grandparent would pay the grandchild's school by writing a check? Correct. Yeah, you would want to write a check directly to the college that your grandchild is attending. And typically, so the reasons why you'd want to do that are twofold. Um, tax situations, but also the most important is if your grandchild is eligible for financial aid, if you are giving the money to them, it could mess with their financial aid. Paying the funds directly to the school could also impact financial aid. So if they are financial aid eligible, that's where we tell people to hold off on using this account until January of their sophomore year. Then you could pay for the rest of their education, and if needed, they could take out loans to fund the first year and a half, and then upon their graduation, you could use this account and these assets to help pay off those loans. What is a 529 plan? Where can we sign up for one, and how can it benefit our grandchild? 529 plans are nice because they're tax-advantaged investment vehicles specifically designed for paying for higher education. There are two types of 529 plans. There's the traditional 529 savings plans, and then there also are some prepaid tuition plans. It all depends on the state if they offer these prepaid tuition plans. I tend to focus on the traditional savings vehicle. It gives you more options and it doesn't lock you into a specific state school. You can purchase one of these virtually anywhere. Every state in our country offers a 529 plan. And all you have to do is go to Google. It will tell you which state offers which plan. Some states, you can purchase them through a broker-dealer uh, or your IRA, depending on what type of advisor you're working with. And then for other states, you would purchase the plan directly. The one caveat that I do want to explain with 529 plans goes back to that financial aid eligibility. If your grandchild is eligible for financial aid and you don't want to mess that up, you would want to transfer the ownership of the 529 plan to the parents shortly before the child is getting ready to start looking at colleges. They would be included for assets of the parent, 
But because the parent would be using it and the way that the financial aid forms look at um, parent savings, it's not counted as much as if you were the owner and paying the school or your grandchild for school directly. What is a Uniform Gift to Minors Act, or UGMA account, or a Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, a UTMA account? What's the difference between them? Where can we get one? And how may a grandchild benefit from it? The UTMA and UGMA, or UGMA and UTMA, as most of us refer to them in the financial world, they're essentially the same type of account in the vein that they are custodial accounts set up for the beneficiary of a minor. The difference between the two is that an UGMA is permitted in all states, but they can only invest in financial assets like cash, stocks, bonds, etc., while UGMA accounts can also invest in intangible Um, assets like real estate or art. Not all states allow UTMAs, though, and the two that I'm aware of are Vermont and South Carolina. They benefit the grandchild in the sense that it's very similar to that Totten Trust, POD, and TOD accounts. The grandchild would get these assets. The difference is, is that they would get the assets upon the age of majority, which is 18 to 21, depending on which state they live in. These types of accounts, because they ultimately would go to the grandchild or grandchildren, they can use them for anything. It doesn't have to be education. I understand that annuities are insurance products, not investment tools. Evaluating the benefits and risk of an annuity is very complex, and the purchaser of an annuity may regret that purchase, because he or she did not understand it when purchased. Generally, how do annuities work, and who should advise us whether an annuity is the right choice to achieve our goals? The thing to know first and foremost with annuities is that they are insurance products, and they are designed to really be there to help produce income for your or your spouse's lifetime. I wouldn't necessarily see these as being anything that you would use with our conversation today in terms of looking at how are we helping our grandkids, but there could be some instances when they might come into play to help you achieve those goals. And that's where you really want to make sure that you are working with a financial advisor that has your best interests at heart. And I would always ask when thinking of an annuity, it's ask your advisor if they're going to get paid on it or not. And really make sure that they're walking you through that annuity so that you understand all of the options, how that annuity functions, and what the fees are to determine if it is going to accomplish your long-term goals. When is our best choice to benefit our grandchild a trust declaration drafted by a trust's and a state's attorney as part of our estate planning documents? When you really are going to want to be looking at a trust and getting an estate planning attorney involved, um, there are a couple of situations. One might be if you are concerned with 
your children inheriting any assets or you giving them money and them maybe not spending it in the way that you would desire in terms of having those assets benefit your grandchild. Another instance might be if you're worried about how your grandchild might handle those assets. Then you can put different measures in place within the trust to ensure that they are spent on the basics like healthcare, education, basic lifetime maintenance, and any sort of support that they might need throughout their lifetime. Other instances when trusts can really be beneficial is depending on the size of your estate. The larger your net worth, the more beneficial these more complex tools are going to be to help make everything flow in a more tax-efficient fashion and keep more of your assets in the family. What other methods do you recommend, Hannah, to some of your clients to plan for their grandkids' education and financial future understanding that not everything that you might recommend to one grandparent would be right for another grandparent or that grandparent's family. Another way, especially if there is a grandchild with any special needs or disabilities, you might want to look at something called an ABLE account um, as well as a special needs trust. Other things that I've recommended to clients in the past have been for the grandparent to structure a low interest loan to their children so that they can use those funds to pay for the grandchild's education. And then once your grandchild graduates, you can forgive that loan to the parents. When I look at my role, it's not to just give blind advice to the clients that I work with, but to act more as a counselor and guide and get the family talking to one another so that everyone can get on the same page for what their vision for the future looks like. And from there, that's when the advice can really come into play in terms of which specific strategies would work the best. And finally, what free or inexpensive resources can we use to educate ourselves and suggest to our children and grandchildren about choosing financial and investment advisors and investing in financial planning generally. Because we've been talking so much about education, one of the first tools that I wanted to mention is a website called savingforcollege.com. It is a great resource. It can direct you to any of those 529 plans like we talked about. And it really helps give a better understanding of all the different options that are available. No cost to use the site. Now, if you are currently working with a financial advisor or your children are, that's where I say go to them. A lot of advisors do offer free planning or classes to help educate for their current clients and their heirs. So that is a great place to start. If you don't already have an advisor, though, and you're trying to look for one, that's where there are various tools that you can find on the Internet that explain the questions you should be asking as you start your search. And one of the best places to start, asking your current friends and other family members what they're doing and who they might be using. There are two additional sources to just help you feel more empowered on your own and learning more. 
there is a website called Coursera.com, and they offer many free and or low-cost classes that are taught by university professors throughout the world. And once you get onto that website, all you have to do is type personal finance into their search bar, and then you'll see all the options available. And lastly, there's another great website out there called smartaboutmoney.org. There is a wealth of information on that website with free tools to help you learn more about the basics of investing and financial planning. Now I invite other grandparents to ask Hannah questions, raise your concerns, and offer your suggestions about planning for grandchildren's education and financial future. First, we'll take a call from John in Lawrenceville. John, what are you thinking? I wanted to ask uh, what Hannah thinks about um, uh, micro-bundled investing. Uh, I'm trying to think of a way that I could put aside a daily amount for each of my grandchildren. I, I plan to work pretty far into my 70s, so I think I could do this. And, you know, just put aside a little bit every day uh, for them. And I was thinking, uh, you know, I talked to uh, uh, their mother, and she, and you know, she said, "Well, you could uh, you could buy them some Bitcoin," <laughs> you know. And I said, "Well, I already have some of that. It's sort of interesting. No one knows where it's going. Of course, that's always the issue." Uh, and she said, "What? What about micro bundles? What about micro uh, bundled portfolios? You know, you could you could buy five dollars a day." You know, and uh, and see how it happens, and you'll be you'll be in the market, the market market. So I'm just wondering uh, what Tana has to say about those things. When it comes to saving for your grandchildren, and particularly if you're looking at wanting these funds to go toward college, that's where I would say sticking with a more traditional investment route, like that 529 plan letting that daily amount build up in your savings, and then every month shifting an amount to the 529 plan. Why I'd recommend that route is because it's more of a conservative approach to ensure that the assets will be there and have some growth potential. Um, When we're looking at things, like you made a comment on Bitcoin, and then also when looking at these micro-bundles, they're a little more speculative and they carry a lot more risk. And so while the reward might be higher, that risk is also just as high. And until we kind of get more into the vein where those assets aren't considered as speculative, that's when I'd say, hey, let's revisit and ask that question again, if, you know, a couple years down the road. All right. Very good. Um so the 529, it, it, uh, it, it's a custodial account, am I correct? You are the owner. You name a beneficial owner of the account, which would be the grandchild, but you are always considered the owner. So those assets don't have to go to the grandchild that you name. Um, you could change the beneficial uh, owner. So it's always going to be under your control. Is there a situation which... Uh uh you can turn ownership of it over to to the parents yes absolutely and i had made that comment earlier where if you were to be the one to open up that 529 account 
you mm-hmm. would ultimately want to turn over the ownership to the parents right around the sophomore or junior year of high school of the grandchild um, because you're going to want the parent to then have ownership for more beneficial uh, reflection when filling out those financial aid forms. And so when I do that, they would take over putting money into it for the next couple of years. You could also still put money into it. So that's another thing that people aren't often aware of. The parents could be the ones to open up that 529 plan in the first place. They can be the owners from the get-go, and you still have the capability of contributing funds on a monthly basis to that account. Thank you so much. I was just being, you know, the thing that, that matters to me a lot is, is to have control for the longest possible time. You know, I, I, I want things to be uh, as little blind as they can be, right? And, and, uh, and I don't want to lose principle. So, you know, those are two things that matter a lot to me. You're not alone. <laughs> now we're going to hear from John in Santa Fe. John, please share your ideas and questions with us. First of all, uh, my knowledge of the whole concept has quadrupled with Hannah's comments and your excellent questions, Jerry. So uh, that's been extremely helpful. Um, We have been sort of doing the less traditional way. Um, One of the things that I've tried to instill in the grandkids is the uh, concept of being financially responsible with their money and so forth. So I, instead of me taking all the, or or in addition to saving money for them, what I've done is I've tried to give them funds for them to save so that I don't have to worry once I give them the money (laughs) that I'm saving for them, that they are doing the responsible thing. So uh, on their 10th birthday, I give them a thousand on their 11th birthday, I give them 1100. Anyway, it goes up the line. Okay. So by the time they get to be 16, 17, 18, there's some, there's some pattern there of their ability to manage their money, which then gives me a greater comfort level that when they get to the point of getting to college or even beyond, if we do leave them money that, uh, they'll, they'll know how to manage it and, and so forth. So uh, that's that's not something probably out of your handbook, Hannah, but, but that's something that, that we do, and put it that way. There are many people that do um, also do what you're doing, and it all kind of comes down to personal preference first and foremost, and what you what makes you the most comfortable and is going to work best for your family, that's where you want to start. It might not be the best if we're looking at things from a tax perspective or financial aid eligibility perspective, but I always tell anyone that I work with, it all comes down first before we give any specific advice or develop a strategy, we want to get to know how do you think about money and what are your goals for the future? Once your advisor or person that you're working with and within your family, once you have that figured out, that's when you can then start implementing those strategies and looking at what's going to make the best investment sense or tax-wise sense. We're in our 70s and uh, we don't plan to retire anytime soon, fortunately. And the other, the other, the other strategy that we've done is helping the parents with their business. They're in a small business that has great potential. And, um, 
and they actually live in the building. They, they've got a hundred year old chocolate store of all things. And, um, we've been helping them a great deal over the years. And, um, um, what, what my, my thought is, is if I can position them in a way so that as those kids get to the college age, it isn't grandma and grandpa that's helping the kids, it's mom and dad who are helping the kids. And I know that it'll be a combination of both, but uh, I really want the parents to look good, uh, not just me. <laughs> that's my strategy. I, I came from a very large family. I can't even describe how big it was. And we went out the door one at a time. Uh, fortunately, I got a college basketball scholarship, and each one of the kids went out the door on some kind of a scholarship. I'll put the number out there. I have nine brothers and eight sisters. So when you think about how you provide, how you provide for that, my parents were were saints, of course, but they couldn't afford, and there weren't any grandparents to put any money in. So we got the um, we got the uh, responsibility of taking care of ourselves very quickly, and perhaps that's why I have this uh, side of me that says help them uh, take care of themselves and and learn how to manage their finances at an early age because um, some of us had to do that by necessity. <laughs> and I think the other part that we try to do is get them to see the world a little bit before they. Um, before they get into the university system, have a have a broader perspective of what the world is and where their what their part in that world might be. So, we've taken them on trips in various places, and so all of those kinds of things, so that they have a better understanding. Um, I'm an executive coach by by trade right now, and one of the things that I one of the areas I accidentally focused in on are, are lawyers who become lawyers because their grandparents were lawyers, their parents were lawyers and so forth. And suddenly they become a lawyer and they say, Oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> I don't want to do this. Uh, and, and so I'm not taking lawyers on, especially because it happens in every field, but um, so giving the kids a broader understanding of the world and experiences and so forth before we invest in that university is, is sort of one of the things that we're trying to do as well. John, I think we can all agree that we're all lucky as grandparents that we're grandparents and that people on this call and many of our listeners are fortunate to be in a position that we can be asking ourselves these questions about how we can help our children and grandchildren financially. Today we talked about some concerns and ideas that grandparents have about investing for their grandchildren's education and financial future and preparing their grandchildren to save and manage their own finances. An experienced, certified financial planner, Hannah Ahmed, explained to us eight principles. First, when talking with someone you are considering using as your financial or investment advisor, how to ask questions and how to listen to an advisor to help you learn whether he or she has fiduciary duties to you and will work in the best interests of you and your family. Second, the differences between an advisor that holds a CFP or CDFA certification and a registered investment advisor or RIA 
and why it matters whether the advisor works for a broker-dealer or a registered investment advisor firm. Third, some of the investment tools and strategies available to grandparents to save and invest for their grandchildren's benefit. Four, how those investment tools and strategy differ in the degree and manner that grandparents can control the future use of funds that the grandparents provide for their grandchildren, and they may affect their grandchildren's financial aid applications to their schools, and how to use each tool and strategy to maximize potential availability of that financial aid. Fifth, what annuities are and how a grandparent can understand them and decide on the circumstances, if any, that annuities may be useful in achieving their financial goals and when they are not useful for that purpose. Sixth, when it is worthwhile to discuss your planning strategies with your tax advisor and trusts and estates attorney as part of your trusts and estate planning. Seventh, Resources that we can use to educate ourselves and suggest to our children and grandchildren about choosing financial and investment advisors and investing and financial planning generally, including brokercheck.finra, that's F-I-N-R-A dot O-R-G, savingforcollege.com, Coursera, C-O-U-R-S. E-R-A dot org, searching for personal finance, smartaboutmoney.org, and other educational materials provided by your own financial or investment advisor or the advisors to your friends and other members in your family. Eighth, and most importantly, why it is essential for us as grandparents to initiate frank, frequent, and focused conversations with our children and grandchildren so that we can try to understand each other's goals, needs, and wants and plan effectively to plan for them. Thanks to our special guest, certified financial planner Hannah Ahmed, and all of our grandparent callers and listeners. Watch for our announcements of our next Grand Central radio show, Posted to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Blueberry, iHeart, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and our secure website, GrandCentralRadio.com. Until then, please contact me, Jerry Cole. Stay well, safe, and secure, and happy grandparenting!